you have to talk specific. So saying, I'm struggling with this, that makes you feel like, oh, I'm better because I like confess. And the other person's like, oh, he's doing well because he's doing better. It's like, no, what happened and when and how are you handling this? And what do you do with your fear, with your shame, with your anxiety? What are you doing with that? How can we turn a different corner? We have to talk specifics. So we always say, even when you're trying and addressing this, you're only hearing 97%. There's always 3% you're not hearing. That's just been our experience. Like there's always a little more. And the goal isn't necessarily to push and make them share that, but just knowing there's always more. You have to ask more questions and walk really alongside people with this because it's got a death grip, like you said. Welcome to Be One Make One, a discipleship podcast. This is a show where we share stories and tools to equip everyday followers of Jesus to make disciples. On every episode, I have a conversation with someone whose life reflects Jesus' command to go and make disciples. Today's culture has a lot to say about sexuality, yet this is a topic that Christians struggle to talk about. On this episode, my friends Noah and Katie and I discuss the importance of engaging this topic with the people that we're ministering to. Well, thanks for being here today, guys. I'm glad to finally get to meet you, Katie, and I'm excited to chat with you guys today. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, I would just love to hear a little bit more, like, how did you guys meet? I feel like I don't really know you, Katie, but I'd love to hear just some some of your guys' story about that. Of course, we met in the Navigators. Um, we went to the same university. Noah was actually friends with my sister before I came to college, and um, I'd heard about him. And then by the end of my sophomore year, we started dating, and we got married a year and a half later. Okay, nice. Yep, I was uh, getting ready to graduate, and uh, yeah, the Lord brought us together in some kind of cool ways. And so, but we spent a lot of time together in the nav ministry there, but uh, at a distance until the end. So, <laughs> okay, nice. Um, so, how long have you guys been married now? Fourteen years. <laughs> Just pass that, and I pass the test, hopefully. So, yeah, we'll hit 15 next year, so that's exciting. We have four kids, uh, 10, 8, 5, and 2 also, three girls and a boy. Wow, that's a big family. Good stuff. Um, well, thanks for being here, and I know we were t- going to talk about sexuality today, mm-hmm. and I know this topic can be really um, tough for people, interesting. I think everyone's got a journey with it. Um, so I'd just love to hear from you guys what what do you see as the value in talking about things like sexuality with people? I think you can't not talk about it. Like you said, I think everyone has a story or a journey, and they're so varied in what they actually look like. Um, and, and I think the the other aspect of that, Genesis one twenty seven. so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And um, so right from the start of the scriptures, um, sex and gender and sexuality is is part of the picture. And so um, if we don't talk about it, if we don't address it, if, if um, we're not dealing with it, we're missing out on a big part of people's lives. Yeah. Cool. So how in your own discipleship experience, um, how has that shaped you in the area of sexuality? Well, it was probably like just over 10 years ago that we were on campus discipling students and we just kept feeling like we would get to a point where there'd be like this issue or this breakthrough of like, ah, there's like a sexual issue going on underneath all of this. And at that point, it almost still, I wouldn't say surprised us, but it seemed like 
that pattern was not being pointed out to us among other staff at other campuses. We weren't hearing that was the reality. So we just got to the point where we're like, we have to deal with this. And we kind of felt like that was not everyone agreed. And so people were always asking, really, how can you do this? You should be a discipleship ministry. And we kind of came to the point of saying, like, we spend so much time crafting this, like, discipleship navigator boat. Like, we work on scripture memory. We work on Bible study. We work on nav night and outreach and all these things. But if we don't address sexuality, there's just a big hole at the bottom of the boat. And when they graduate, we send them off. and We're like, good luck, knowing they're going to sink or it's going to take on water. And so I feel like we got to that point of just realizing sexual brokenness is just rampant and it looks very different for everyone so we have to be talking about these things or we're really missing out on our discipleship yeah we have to we just have to address it and that boat might sink uh it might just take on you know a couple feet of water or it might sink entirely it might happen in a couple weeks uh it might happen uh some years down the road but um it's a big deal and, and um a lot of times in the past that those issues have gotten just totally ignored and people feel like they can't share. Um, I have a story with significant sexual brokenness, things related to pornography and stuff um, that came early into our marriage and stuff too, and got to see God um, do a great work of redemption in, in that as well. Yeah. Um, so some of that relates to our personal experiences there as, as uh, the Lord brought us there to, to the pits uh, to deal with that kind of stuff. But then we really got to see the gospel at play as well. Yeah, that's great. And so what did some of that look like? I think, um, so I grew up in a Christian family, um, and I was exposed to church and prayer and the Bible to some degree. It wasn't really until college that I started really engaging with the Bible for myself and really finding in beautiful ways um, how it really blessed me and impacted me. Um, but, you know, sexuality wasn't talked about much or anything. Um, so, so I always, I knew about the gospel. I knew Jesus died for me, but, uh, I think we really have to come to see our own brokenness before we can really see the beauty of the gospel. And so, um, yeah, our story is a long one, but, um, I, I remember one, at one point I was confessing some things to Katie and I was just in such a totally broken spot. And I remember going into our bedroom and I was actually just weeping like on the floor and um, I, I think maybe for the first time in my life, I don't know, I felt that I, I literally had nothing to bring to God but filth and unworthiness and nothing. I couldn't hang anything on my Christian background or that I had led in this thing or I helped this person or whatever. It was like I literally have nothing to bring but worthlessness to you. And in that moment, somehow the Lord reminded me of the truths of the gospel, that he still accepted me. And um, a, a picture came to my mind. This doesn't happen often, but it related to my childhood um, and stuff. And it was just God protecting me and embracing me. And that, uh, when I was at rock bottom, when I had literally nothing to offer, um, and then he still embraced me, and he still gave Katie the grace to forgive me and, and, and uh, not reject me. Um, that just changed everything. And so I think we have a, a unique opportunity to see the gospel at work when we really get to the bottom of our brokenness. And so that's one of the big, uh, yeah, that's one of the big memories that first comes to my mind from, from that season um, and how God to use that moment and the gospel through that time to really change me in some pretty significant ways. Yeah, that's that's amazing. 
And Katie, what was it like for you to see Noah kind of in that space and how, yeah, what was your experience of that? Yeah, it's interesting. When we did our premarital counseling, one of the questions was, what are your three biggest disappointments in life? And I could name like seven from that week just because that's how I operate. And Noah said he couldn't think of any. So just this whole idea of Noah just not knowing his heart and not being in touch with what he really wanted or really needed or really felt. And so I feel like that's how it impacted me because you see that all of a sudden come alive in a way that you'd kind of been, we always use the phrase white knuckling it, you know, kind of making do sin management, all those sorts of things. And that was kind of his breakthrough moment to really understand the gospel and really understand himself. Yeah, that's great. I will say it. that, yeah. So th- that was a it was a season. It was a long season. It was it wasn't a good. Time. The diff- it was a very difficult time and stuff. And so I think, as American Christians, we can look for easy things and nice stories and stuff. But um, it was so difficult. Um, but but again, that's where God's power really came through. Um, mm-hmm. Katie had to go through a whole lot during that time, and but God gave her. Somehow he gave her the grace to do so. But I think that's what we love with discipleship in this area. Um, A mentor of Noah at that time said, you don't have hope, but you can hold on to my hope. And so I think that's a phrase we like to tell our students. Like when you really get to the bottom of what you're struggling with, it's really hard to have hope because you feel so ensnared, so overwhelmed. It's just so challenging. But we have hope that you can hold on to. And eventually you'll be able to see that in the future. So we like to use the phrase that right now it's a wound. So as soon as you actually open it up, any salt, any light, anyone looking at it, it's really uncomfortable. But someday it'll be a scar. Like it will be different than that. So I think that's what's really encouraged us to want to help people get to this point. Yeah, that's great. And so you mentioned Noah having a mentor in that time. I'm just curious, what was it like to welcome or include people into that mm-hmm. with you guys? I think the importance, what you your question indicates that community is important and these are things that we can't go it alone and shame causes us to want to try and figure it out on our own, um, but we can't do that. We did have uh, some different people, mm-hmm. different sets of people around us in that time who really walked with us and those were just, that was so crucial. We wouldn't have been able to navigate this on our own. Um, and I think it also illustrated uh, what even what Katie said before is... Um, uh, our brokenness is all integrated and our, our identities are all integrated. And so um, uh, my sexual sin was was about sexual sin and things like that. But there were wounds from my childhood. My dad had a brain injury when I was six and that caused me, I responded to that as a six-year-old in certain ways that developed patterns that allowed sexual sin to take hold in some specific ways. Um, and so part of my journey involved some counseling, even just going back to some of those things too. And different people are going to have different needs and experiences and stuff with that. But there was a, a helpful Christian counselor. Um, we had um, another couple who I was working through some specific study material with to really help engage in some of these areas. And then we had another couple who was like just coaching us, cheering us on, you know, yeah, encouraging us, giving wise counsel and just in the day-to-day interactions and stuff too. And so... Um, we probably can't stress enough how important having community and help and wise counsel around you is. Yeah, I think what what, what I kind of hear you saying there is that as as difficult as sexual sin is, it's really a symptom of other problems that are, mm-hmm. again, it's integrated, right? Our brokenness mm-hmm. affects every part of our life. And mm-hmm. so as, as we work through that, yeah, even in my life, other sins have come up, other mm-hmm. patterns of anger and frustration and anxiety of kind of risen out of my process through all of that. And it's like, man, I thought I would have never imagined 
that all of that was connected. Um, but yeah, it totally is. That's why we're big on saying this isn't about behavior management. It's about total life transformation. And that's what we're looking for. But so often, I think we rely on the behavior management, especially in this area of sexuality. Because it's like if you do the right thing, then therefore you're okay. And if you do the right things, everyone thinks you're fine. But that doesn't actually equate. You're not necessarily fine just because you're following the rules on the outside. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. When I was um, serving on campus in Texas at Texas Tech, I had a thriving ministry. I was mentoring all these guys. Things were going well on the outside, but man, I just I feel like sexual sin had a death grip on me, and no one really knew about it. Or I'd share kind of like half truths, almost as if it was already handled. Like, oh yeah, I struggled with that last week, but it's actually yesterday. It may be right before this meeting, <laughs> you know. And so it was very, yeah. I think for me, it was like everything is going well. So I guess this isn't a big deal, but then eventually it comes to a point of... And that's a very common story. I mean, we always say it's like, you have to talk specific. So saying, I'm struggling with this, that makes you feel like, oh, I'm better because I like confess. And the other person's like, oh, he's doing well because he's doing better. It's like, no, what happened and when and how are you handling this? And what do you do with your fear, with your shame, with your anxiety? What are you doing with that? How can we turn a different corner? We have to talk specifics. So we always say, even when you're trying and addressing this, you're only hearing 97%. There's always 3% you're not hearing. That's just been our experience. Like there's always a little more. And the goal isn't necessarily to push and make them share that, but just knowing there's always more. You have to ask more questions and walk really alongside people with this because it's got a death grip, like you said. Yeah. And so as you're, as you're thinking about people that you're discipling, investing in, how do you eventually go there with them in a way that's not pushy or forceful. Cause I think that's part of my struggle is statistically, I know most young men in some way struggle in this area. Um, but I don't just want to assume that always and just, but I, I want to like push them, encourage them, but also leave space for them. And yeah. How do you guys manage that tension of bringing it up? I guess there's like two thoughts I have originally. One is like when you get to know someone, you say, tell me your story. Like there's a good chance something will be said that makes you think, huh, I wonder if there's more to that. You know, like trying to as you get to know people, you're going to find out more about them. Um, I just have been personally struck as a mom. So our oldest is in fifth grade. And so realizing like when we were talking to college students, you could feel like this is uncomfortable or like, do I really want to bring this up? But realizing that these college students have probably been hearing about it for four to six years. Like I know two sixth graders this fall at school, one at, Christian, at a Christian school, classmates were asking, who do you think is bi in this classroom? And another sixth grader on the first day of school was asked, what are your preferred pronouns? And then at recess, someone came up to her and this is how she said it. Someone asked me like, does your mom agree with? And then they said a bunch of letters. She didn't know what the letters were. And they said, well, is it LGBTQ? Yeah, that's what it was. And when I said no, they wouldn't play with me. This is sixth grade. So if these people have been hearing about this all the way through, it's on me to get over the fact that it's embarrassing. So I'm not saying it's not hard, but like this thing where this is just so important that we have to be willing to take that risk. I do think in some ways it's easier when you're in like a mentor of college students because they're looking to you to disciple them where like in friendships and peers, it's definitely been more personally difficult. But that awkwardness, I think we've just had to get over it and just be like, they're hearing about it from everyone else. So if we're not asking, they're hearing it from everyone except us, which I just can't be content with. Yeah, and I think we found that, uh, at least in a lot of times when working with college students, 
they, like Katie said, they're talking about it and elsewhere. And so they're pretty open to talking about it. So a lot of times it's more, it can be more awkward for the question asker, the person who's trying to initiate. But I think question asking is huge. Being willing to ask questions because uh, for a couple things, question opens up people within their own assumptions. It, it forces them to examine in the things that they're sharing. It, it's an invitation. It invites them to share more or to not share more. And I think one thing that we have found in reflecting on our, our time on campus too, I think sometimes we tried to carry too much for the people we were ministering to. We were trying to force change. We were trying to carry burdens that only really that person could carry. Um, and so I think a, a question opens up the door for someone to be able to be vulnerable. Um, but they also don't have to. And if they're not willing to and they're not going to go there, there's not much you're going to be able to do, you know, with that. It's funny. My mentor would always say there's always seven whys every time. So, like, we had a social and a student forgot to bring the food she was supposed to bring. And it was like rice or something kind of essential for this taco bar. It's like, oh, why'd that happen? Oh, I forgot. Oh, why do you think you forgot? Oh, because I slept in. Oh, why did you sleep in? I was up too late. Oh, why were you up too late? You know, that kind of thing. Like if you ask seven whys behind most things, you're going to get to something. So if they're like, oh, it's been such a hard week. This is just so hard. Why do you think so? When you keep asking, we're kind of like a whole story and we're almost like a mirror to ourselves that we don't even see. But you might see it in them like, you're really tired. You're really stressed. Something's not up. And we can just say, oh, I'm stressed too. And you move on or you say, let's really figure this out. And then often you get to something, which it may not be sexual, but it might be something that's just a bad behavior or a bad pattern in their life that is as, as important to address as a sexual behavior would be. And you really can feel like you're breaking through and helping people when you really try to ask what's going on, where it's really easy to say, okay, today we're going to talk about this passage of scripture. And you just kind of start doing it, but realizing how integrated all these habits and patterns are that we just have to include all the things in discipleship and learn how to kind of masterfully intertwine all of those things. So I think being willing to go there, um, prioritizing question asking and thinking through thoughtfully what kind of questions you can ask, practicing the seven whys. Um, another phrase I think that's found to be helpful is asking them, can I make an observation after maybe they've shared a lot of things? Here's what I'm hearing you say and boom, 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 boom. And you can list that out. And then that can kind of, as Katie said, can like act as the mirror. And then again, you're helping them to kind of self-discover and they're like, oh, yeah, I can see why that happened or I see why I'm struggling with this or I see why I'm so stressed. And they can maybe start to see how some of their choices have led to that, how other people's choices have led to that. Um, that can be helpful. Um, and yeah, that's... Yeah, but be careful when you learn to ask. You need to master the no surprises face. Like nothing shocks me. Nothing you say is new. Nothing is too bad. I can't love you. I'm seeing that as a parent. Like, yeah, okay. Like that's very... You need to master that that face. It's very important if you're going to ask. Yeah, I love that. And what I love about what you're sharing there is it's not, um, you can do that whole process with any kind of sin pattern, anything that you're observing. And so I think that's even itself just a model of what it means to disciple someone is to take a real interest in their lives, ask questions, be an active listener, pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, so I love that that can be applied to any kind of behavior, an angry outburst, you know, yeah, at a right. party or something, yes. you know, at yes. all, at all. The seven whys, I think, is a great principle. Um, so I really appreciate you guys sharing that. Um, but I would love to to hear just maybe, are there some practical tools that you, maybe it's materials that you go with with people or just kind of methods you keep in your head of how to talk about this with people. But yeah, for people listening who want to 
encourage someone or start helping someone grow in this area, how would you recommend they start? I think um, it's been interesting. Uh, I feel like in some ways my journey has paralleled some of the journey of how sexuality and sexual sin and stuff is dealt with in at least in evangelical Christianity and stuff, as Katie alluded to. I think back in college it was like, memorize another verse, you know, is like the Bible. Go read your Bible <laughs> and stuff. More. Right. And then there's been a shift now, I think, over the last 10 or 15 years to more matters of the heart and influences of counseling and things like that. And we've really benefited from that. But I think then sometimes you can swing the other way and it's pretty much you go into kind of a counseling mode. And most of us, we're not trained counselors. And so um, we we don't have the expertise to to go really, really deep into that world. So I think just remembering that the Bible is one of our, our main tools for that. How can we be bringing people into the scriptures? And one other... Um, uh, I think thing that's important to point out is um, it's easy for this area to, to kind of dominate uh, a relationship or a discipleship relationship. And I found when that happens, it's actually not good because it gives a message to that person that the sum of their Christian walk is how they, if whether they sin sexually or not. Um, but I've also found it can be hard to maintain relationships and sustain relationships, especially when I've been trying to encourage and help people from a distance. Um, and this is all we talk about, it kind of deteriorates because I become the police and there, you know, it's just, it's not good. So, so thinking holistically, um, as I, as I want to influence somebody, um, there's a, there's a, there's a navigator staff who actually has a YouTube channel where he's talking a lot about, um, sexual brokenness. Maybe we can include a link, um, to that here, but he identifies, um, kind of a three prong approach, kind of thinking big picture and helping somebody. So first is the journey of the heart, helping that person to understand their story, their past wounds and trauma and sin, starting to let the Holy Spirit, starting to ask questions to let the Holy Spirit start to reveal why is this happening? Because finding the why can be really helpful and empowering with that. Identifying lies that I'm believing and replacing them with truth um, is can be huge, and that's where the scriptures can come with potent power um, speaking against those lies. So that's first is the journey of the heart, and th that's essential. Second is building a defense. So it depends on what the issue is. Um, if it's something with internet pornography for men or women or something like that, then, you know, we have those smartphones in our pockets and on our computers, and so it's very accessible. There are practical steps that can be taken to, um, especially in the early time, to uh, create some space to be able to do that heart work, kind of the heart surgery. Um, that's kind of the, the analogy that uh, ultimately what we need is heart surgery, but if your arm is gushing blood, um, you can't do heart surgery yet. You got to do with the arm first. And so helping people just to build wise choices into their life and and wise steps with that. Now, with other forms of sexual brokenness, there's there's different ways that needs to be attacked. But what does it look like to build a defense? And then third, to build an offense, uh, building better habits of body and mind. What is my purpose in my life? Like finding that and pursuing that. Again, so not, I'm not just avoiding sin, but I'm living out God's purpose for my life. It's going to make uh, it's going to allow us to see sin for what it is as not very attractive and, and things like that. What's the better yes that I can find rather than just trying to say no, no, no all the time. So I found that, that, uh, that approach journey of the heart, building a defense and then building an offense to be really helpful. Um, there's a book that's been really helpful that I've really appreciated over the years, surfing for God by Michael Cusick that deals with men and pornography specifically. So it might not apply to everybody. Um, there's an app that I know uh, some people have used with some great success called The Freedom Fight. Uh, Freedomfight.org is the website for that. 
Um, uh, the navigators recently have released a, a study called Rewire, which kind of talks about God's design for sexuality. So it's not so much troubleshooting our brokenness, but just trying to lay a groundwork um, of that as well. And there's so many more resources now than even 10 years ago. But I also like to point out, like like the iPhone, like the sexual reality and culture of our country is changing so quickly. Just when you think you have the most recent phone, it's going to change. And just when you think you might kind of have your head wrapped around what people today are struggling with, it's going to change. So don't wait till you know it or understand it to feel like you can talk about it. But these resources are super helpful, but you're not going to ever be like up to date in this topic, in my opinion. Right. So continuing to learn is important. Um, um, when it comes to issues of sexual orientation and gender, um, I know Preston Sprinkle has a lot of resources. Great. It's his Center for Faith and Sexuality, I believe, is the website with that. Um, so those are some some practical tools. But part of it is getting in the game and understanding with somebody. If someone comes and talks with me, maybe starting to open up about something, again, asking a lot of questions, trying to understand where they're at, trying to create that safe environment is a great place to start. Yeah, that's great, guys. There's also a book I read this year called An Impossible Marriage. Have you guys heard of that one? Mm -hmm. It's a, a couple, Matt and Lori Craig. I think that's how I say her last name. But she is same-sex attracted, and it's kind of just their story of, of, of being being married and the struggles that came with that. So profound, so helpful. Mm -hmm. And God's designed for, for marriage and sexuality, but also like when real brokenness is really like at play, how do we find hope? And such a profound book. Yeah. Uh, so that's something else I'd also encourage people to, to check out is it's, yeah, that's a very profound It can one. be really helpful to hear other people's experiences because I mean, one thing we hear pretty common on campus is, well, once I'm married, my struggles will go away. You know, and that... Yeah, a marriage with two people and their struggles. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> so we did it. We did a dating and marriage talk with our students um, one time. And we had the same, so like the application principles... Um, and I couldn't recall right now what they were, but, but we, they, well, it was like, when you're single, what do you do? You love God, you walk in holiness and you serve other people. When you're dating, what do you do? Love God, walk in holiness, serve other people. When you're married, what do you do? Like, it's the same thing. Yeah. We're not actually changing. Right. Mm. Right. So just to, to be able to see that, um, some of those quick answers and lies can get kind of demolished when you read a book, like the one that you referred to stuff too. We all have brokenness and it's a journey for all of us that we are on and God is working with his redemption in that journey. B1 Make One is a production of The Navigators in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, podcast at navigators.org.